at our Ash Wednesday service that marked the beginning of the season of Lent. And we had kind of a gathered time at the front where we shared song and scripture and prayers. And then we dismissed everyone and invited them to go through some stations that were scattered around the room. And one of those stations was a table with words, lots of words, words coming from a theme of worship reaching all the way back to August. And we began, as we began, an emphasis on the wisdom of Scripture. In August, I shared with you all that um, for me, in a time when random verses are put on t-shirts or made into home decor, verses memorized and pulled out by themselves to be used as a weapon, I thought about this long history of scripture. The deep meaning continually passed from one generation to the next. I thought about the wisdom of scripture, not just favorite verses, but overarching themes that aid us in understanding God, ourselves, and our world. So these past seven months, um, you've noticed uh, that in worship we have explored the wisdom of Scripture. And we'll continue to do so as we head toward the summer months. And while there have been some varying themes named every time, as you saw on that table if you were here with all the words, There's one main theme that I hope you haven't been able to miss. The theme of our connection to God, to one another, to creation itself. The story of God and God's people working to be in right relationship. From those origin stories of Genesis that tell us from the beginning we were created for relationship with God, with one another, with the earth itself, created from the earth itself. The story of those relationships breaking. We jumped from Genesis 1 and 2 to the story of the Exodus and this newly freed people of God learning the lessons of the manna, learning how to be community learning to share, learning to take only what they need, to trust in God, to practice the jubilee that comes with forgiveness, renewal, a fresh start. Then, yes, we moved on to the prophets, uh, words of warning, because the people of God weren't treating the least among them the way that God would desire, which led us to Advent, The exploration of the incarnation, God with us to show us, to show us how, how to love God, how to love neighbor. These last few weeks, we remembered our baptism and our place within the body of Christ, one body, many members. And all of this, all of the stories and verses and hard teachings All of it calls us to remember that we are in this together. We were created one for another, created for connection and relationship, created to love God, love our neighbor. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As one theologian said, 
The world as it would be if God were directly in charge would be a world of right relationship. It would not be a world without pain or mystery, but simply a world where we would be in good contact with all things, where we would be connected and in communion. So the hope, the hope is that the story of Scripture, the story of God encountering humanity, that this story equips us, aids us, empowers us, reminds us of this truth, the wisdom of Scripture. And you cannot have an emphasis on the wisdom of Scripture without spending some time with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as it is considered by some to be the blueprint for a Christian lifestyle. It's Jesus setting up an alternative wisdom, alternative to the wisdom of the world, a way of seeing, a way of being in the world because of God. The sermon is found in Luke and Matthew with some slight variations in each. We'll be focusing on Matthew chapters 5 through 7 as we make our way through Lent. And we will get, as one theologian said, Jesus' worldview, a sermon that is as close as we can get to Jesus' original message, the heart of the teaching of the historical Jesus. And Lent's the perfect time to explore this message because Lent is the time every year where we are invited to take some time, to make some space, to clear away the clutter, to push away the noise, to let go of the things that pull us away from God, from one another, to make space for God and the things of God so that when Easter day arrives, we are truly ready to experience and live into resurrection. But lucky for us, it does, it does make its way around every year. Because as we named during that time in the prophets this past fall, um, the struggle is real. We are hardwired for connection, for relationship. We need one another. And yet, we also struggle to maintain right relationship with God, with one another, with the earth itself. So in comes Jesus. To show us the way by the way he chooses to walk among us. But also to preach a radical new way of living. A way of seeing. A way of being in the world because of God. Richard Rohr in his book on the Sermon on the Mount said this. Jesus was truly dangerous. He was creating a following with a kind of thinking that was calling into question family, possessions, status, sacrificial religion, a following much more on the side of inclusiveness. Jesus critiques and reorders the values of his culture from the bottom up. He portrays the prevailing institutions of family, religion, power, and resource control by his loyalty to another vision, which he calls the reign of God. Such loyalty cost him general popularity, 
the support of the authorities, immense inner agony, and finally his own life. And many were not ready for it. Lent is the perfect season to reflect on Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus' words and way of being in the world challenge the conventional wisdom of the time so much that it led him to the cross. He called out structures of domination and control dealing with issues such as racism, sexism, class, power, and money. He had some thoughts on greed and control and called his disciples to a vision of powerlessness, nonviolence, and simplicity. A vision that the early church lived into in such a way that in Acts, the disciples are arrested and accused of turning the whole world upside down. And the words haven't gotten much easier to hear or to follow, but we don't like to admit that. It's easy for us to say we love Jesus, to worship Jesus, to hang a Bible verse on the wall or wear a t-shirt with a catchy Christian phrase. It's much harder to live as Jesus called. As Roar says, we keep worshiping the messenger keeping Jesus up on statues and images so we maybe can avoid what Jesus said. It's the best smokescreen in the world, he says. We just keep saying we love Jesus. I've confessed to you before in this whole Wisdom of Scripture series um, that Jesus complicates everything for me. But I find the message and life of Jesus so compelling that I can't walk away from it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount speaks to us a better way, a way that is centered in the way we choose to live in relationship with one another. So we'll be looking at chunks of it throughout these next, um, next few weeks, beginning um, with chapter 5, and I'm going to be jumping around some. But as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So beginning in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to jump over to 17.1 and then jump down to 21. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, 
If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, to be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You have heard that it was said. This is the phrase that Jesus chooses to use to kind of reframe the conversation. You have heard that it was said. He's addressing conventional wisdom of the day, and he's inviting us to think deeply about it. But it's also also an invitation for us to continually ask, how has the church taken the message of scripture, the message of our faith, the vision of God, and twisted it, tweaked it, maybe even thwarted the original vision by the way we choose to say it, to share it, by the rules and boundaries we set up that maybe don't even get to the heart of the original intent, but makes us feel better. It happens. We're human. We're imperfect. We make mistakes. So we take that line, you have heard that it was said, we take that line in the sermon seriously. We recognize, yes, we have heard that it was said. We maybe have done the saying. I know in my Sunday school, we end up talking a lot about the things we have heard that have been said in church about who and how we should be. You have heard that it was said. And then Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you, but I say to you. And today, as you heard three areas named, the heading in my Bible say anger, adultery, divorce. And you know, there's something that all of these have in common. Living in relationship. Ways we do it well, ways we don't. Jesus takes the rules that we have made and goes deeper, saying it isn't about a rule to follow, It isn't about the relationship you have, or it is about, sorry, it is about the relationship you have or don't have with the one standing before you. It's about how you love your neighbor. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you are angry, 
I mean, I don't know about you, but so far I've been able to maintain that first part. Thou shall not murder. Check. I can place myself in the good box. But that second part, the but I say to you, if you are angry, be reconciled, Jesus says. For anger holds us in bondage. Anger allows us to create an us and them. Anger becomes a force. And if you don't believe me, just pay attention to the next nine months of this presidential election. The work of reconciliation releases the power anger has. And reconciliation is the hard, lifelong work of choosing to be in relationship. It's deeper and harder and more rewarding and inclusive than any rule we can make. And then adultery and divorce. This one's almost too easy because I can very much say, you have heard that it was said, or at least you've heard some of the historic language of the wider church that dwindles this entire section from Jesus down to a right and wrong, a do and a don't across the board with no deep reflection and discernment. But I say to you, I mean, there was some deep stuff in there. Stuff that I feel we let slide way too often because it's just easier to have the rule you're not supposed to break. When Jesus says, everyone who looks with lust, lust, Jesus is addressing objectification, seeing someone as an object, not a human being, not one made in the image of God, not one who stands on equal footing with you, not one who is a beloved child of God, seeing women as objects, individuals who at Jesus' time and in some places still today don't have rights to their own bodies. They aren't a person. They're an object of your creating. Recognizing beauty in another person is not wrong. Attraction is not a sin. Not seeing the full humanity of a person because they have become an object for your consumption. This does harm. And we all know there is an entire industry where individuals are used as objects for others' consumption. And it does harm. Unfortunately, persons are not just seen as objects with regard to lust. The history of our country is a history of refusing to see the humanity of persons of color and rather making them objects to serve a purpose. Today, the language we use to talk about immigrants or the poor or the LGBT community or the trans community, any group speak we create that takes away the human face, we make objects. And then divorce. 
Jesus again says, if you're going to dwindle this down to a rule of right and wrong, so you can name who's good and who's bad, you've missed the point. The point is right relationship. And Jesus is challenging the very equality structures of his day between men and women with his, but I say to you. It's got to be an equal system, Jesus says, where both parties have the right to take the initiative. For a one-sided system can never set up true partnership. What the Sermon on the Mount shows us is that we like to create rules, a set of instructions, because then we can easily say we know who is in and who is out, who is doing it right and who is doing it wrong, who is good and who is bad. And of course, we generally put ourselves in the doing it right category, even if we break a rule or two, because surely our circumstance was different. But Jesus is saying with this entire sermon, it's not that easy. It's deeper than rules because it's about relationships. And relationships are hard and messy. And you can't just pick and choose who you think the rules apply to and who they don't. Each person you meet is a child of God. And each person deserves to be treated the way you would like to be treated. That's a line we're going to get to in the Sermon on the Mount as well. You know, you have in your, in your bulletin a response um, coming from Psalm 139. Um, it's a version from Nan Merrill's Psalms for Praying. And I chose this because it's a well-known psalm that talks about, you know, God seeing me. There's a lot of eye language. There is some places in there about God seeing inside you and kind of cleaning you out, but there's a lot of eye language. And I wondered if we could hold that and see that in a different way, where it's not just that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, but the next person I meet is fearfully and wonderfully made. And so is the next person, and the next person, and the next person. Um, this way of holding our story um, where we don't become so much I, but it becomes we. So yeah, the I language is still in there, but as we read it together, I hope you're able to picture um, someone else um, that you can see as you read this as someone that God has also created and loves and chooses. So, as a way to respond this day, we will say responsively, Psalm 139, and your responses are in the bold. Oh, my beloved, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my innermost thoughts. Even before words rise up in prayer, lo, you have already heard my heart call. You encompass me with love where'er I go, and your strength is my shield. Where 
If I soar on the wings of the morning or dwell in the deepest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your love will embrace me. More than I know myself, do you know me? When I was being formed in secret, intricately fashioned from the elements of the earth. Oh, that you would vanquish my fears, beloved. Oh, that ignorance and suffering would depart from me. My ego separates me from true abandonment to surrendering myself into your hands. Let us pray.